Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to begin and look at verses 1 through 4. Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you. As we come to you, we know that we can find mercy and grace. We look at the cross. We look at what Jesus has done for us. We thank you that we have been set free from our bondage. We no longer have to walk in sin. So today we ask that your spirit, the spirit of truth, will lead us in all truth. Bring back to remembrance those things that we need to know. That, Lord, that we would glorify you. That we would honor you. That we would bring a bit of heaven into this world. And all God's people said, Amen. I've titled the message today, Living the Risen Life with Christ. Let me read our text. In chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, it says, And you are raised from death with Christ. So live for what is in heaven, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Think only about what is up there, not what is here on earth. Your old self has died, and your new life is kept in Christ in God. Yes, Christ is now your life, and when he comes again, you will share in his glory. Paul begins a new section in the book of Colossians, and it's typical of how he writes his books. The first half of Paul's book will always be doctrine. The second half is duty. In fact, that's what we call one of the signatures of Paul's writing. It's doctrine and then duty. He always tells us what we're to do, and then he moves to the fact, how do you do it? How do you live it out? After all, it's good for Christians to declare and defend the truth, but what if they fail to walk it out in their lives? Titus 1.16 says this, they profess to know God, but their deeds deny Him. They're being detestable, disobedient, and worthless for any good deed. It's not enough just to say a sinner's prayer, or to, to remember some verses, or come to, to on Sunday morning. We come to hear from God. We come to walk in ways that are pleasing to Him. We come to take His Word and hide it in our hearts. It's not enough, again, to know it, but to let that word know us and change us and transform us from the inside out. See, the pagan religions of Paul's day said little or nothing about any personal morality. And the worshiper, the pagan worshiper, that is, would come and bow down before their idol and then put an offering on the altar and then go back and live the same old life of sin. See, what a person believed had no direct relationship with how they behaved. And no one would condemn that person for his behavior in that time. But the Christian faith brought a whole new concept into the pagan society. See, it's what we believe should have a very definite connection with how we behave. After all, Faith in Christ means we're being united with Christ. And if we share in his life, we must follow in that example. 
He will not live in us by the Spirit and then permit us to live continually in a habitual life of sin. So Paul's connecting doctrine with duty in this section. He begins in verse 1 with that reminder. Therefore you have been raised up with Christ. Now, we talked about the therefore in this case. He's speaking to Christians, but he's saying, since you have been raised up with Christ, making it very clear, you are a believer. You have been raised with Christ. He's going to go on to tell them our life should reflect that. Kenneth Weiss, in his translation, put in view of the fact, therefore, that you are raised with Christ. You were raised from death with Christ. And Paul is writing to those that are saved, those who have identified with the resurrection of Christ. They're professing it, but there's been a change in their life. But yet they need to be reminded, and you and I need to be reminded today, again and again, and sometimes every day. Let me read from Romans chapter 6, verses 2 through 4. May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who had been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into his death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Jesus' physical resurrection was from the dead. But the Colossians, and ours as well, is a spiritual resurrection, out from the spiritually dead, from the state of spiritual death into spiritual life, the verbiage used there. It is saying to be co-resurrected. In fact, this happens for the believer the very moment of conversion. By putting their faith in Christ as Savior, who died and was raised from the grave. Someone has said, life is what you are alive to. Take a child. He comes alive when you talk about baseball or ice cream. A teenager may come alive when you mention cars or dates. But Paul wrote, for me to live is Christ in Philippians 1.21. Christ was Paul's life. And he was alive to anything that was related to Christ. So should be every believer. Look at Philippians with me, 3.14 on the screen. It says, I press on toward the goal, the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love the psalmist's words back in Psalm 27.4. It says, one thing that I've desired from the Lord that I may seek and that I may know the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Well, let's continue. And also in verse 1, 1b, we would call it the responsibility. It says there, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things on the earth. Now that word things contrasting the above things with those earthly things, which the heretics were, were seeking after. Now, that phrase, keep seeking, means to try to obtain. 
Not in the sense of getting to heaven, but in that sense of trying to obtain the heavenly in this world. Keep looking for, looking above, or a contrast to the things below. In a, in a legalistic, ascetic practices of the heretics. The proper objects of seeking include the presence of God, the, the holy city, the total possession of all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. In fact, let me read that passage in Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Every believer is a blessed person because God has richly blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Just as some have a compass that would point to north, the believer's entire disposition should point itself toward the things in heaven. When people look, and they, they see that our focus is in heaven. Heavenly thoughts can come only by really understanding the heavenly realities from the Scripture. The process of, of seeking incorporates that revealed will of God for one's life and the essence of all that one should become in Christ. Look again at Romans 8, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. See, for you and me, there's a deliberate choice. Will we set our minds on the things of the flesh or set our minds on the things of the Spirit? The believer chooses to set his mind upon the things of the Spirit, heavenly things. Now, Matthew chapter 6, verse 20 and 21 gives us a, 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 a twist on this. He says, but store up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where are you storing up your treasures? Are they heavenly treasures? Are they stored up in heaven where the moth or rust will not destroy? See, that's the focus as we go through this life with a heavenly perspective. We go through this life with open eyes, looking through the eyes of Jesus. Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Meditate upon these things. Let these thoughts fill your heart and your mind. See, the things on earth are not in themselves sinful, but they can become so if, if sought and thought on a, a preference above the things above. The place is heaven itself, the place where the Lord Jesus Christ is seated. It's his work of salvation is finished. He's sitting on that right hand of the Father. It's done. Lightfoot comments that the same expression repeated for emphasis, you must not only seek heaven, you must also 
think heaven. Set your mind upon it. Keep thinking about heaven. I love that phrase. Maybe I run it into the ground. But it's the best is yet to come. This mindset begins with prayer. And Jesus said, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. We must also remember that our mindset is a deliberate act of will. Just as you would set your mind on taking a vacation and then do it, or set your mind on buying an object, a thing, or home, we set our minds on on finishing the project. Well, spiritually, that is, we need to set our minds on the things above, the heavenly things upon God, what he's done and that he's coming again. See, these things are a purifying thought. It's these things that make worth living in this life. It does not matter what we think, and we are responsible for our thoughts, but just not on the things that are on the earth. Finally, it's immensely helpful to Memorize scriptures that have to do with the heavenly mindset. Colossians, as we're looking today, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. The first two chapters in Ephesians, Ephesians 1 and 2. Or 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. These are heavenly pictures. And one day, every believer will experience them. I like what A.T. Robinson said. The Christian has to keep his feet on the earth, but his head in the heavens. He must be heavenly minded here on earth so as to help to make earth like heaven. See, our lives, as they're focused upon heavenly things, godly things, moral things, upon Christ coming again, it's these things that will bring heaven to earth. See, for the believer, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But we need to be setting our sights on the realities of heaven. It means to put heaven's priorities into a daily practice. We need to live it out. Letting heaven fill your thoughts means concentrating on the eternal rather than the temple. One day all these things are going to burn up. One day there's going to be a judgment. In fact, there's two judgments. There's the Bema seat for the believer and the white throne judgment for the unbeliever. People need to know about God. They need to know about the, the good news. And there are opportunities for you and me to bring a little heaven into someone's life every single day. See, many believers want a good life. But they passively sit around wishing for something good to happen. Often they're, they're very jealous of others who live in a, a victorious life and are resentful that their lives are so difficult. But the choice is yours. A deliberate choice to, to focus upon heaven, focus upon those heavenly realities, those things above or upon this earth. Notice our resource. It's there also in verse 1. It says, seated at the right hand of God. 
I love this picture because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. That right hand of God is the very way of expressing majesty and strength and his powerful protection and favor in Hebrew poetry. Let me show you. From Exodus 15, verses 6 and 12, I'm going to read. Notice what it says. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemies. You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them up. You can follow passage after passage of the Bible, and when you talk about the right hand, it's always a hand of blessing. The Lord Jesus Christ has extended his right hand of fellowship to everyone who will call upon his name, believe in him, and rest in what he has done for you and me. We need to stop and think and remember that in him you are made complete. And he is the head of over all rule and over all authority. Well, notice the reason. It's in verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ. See, you've died, referring to a past fact. That is, so far as your spiritual being is concerned, you died to, that is, and were separated from that formal life. Everything of your evil nature that is pertained to. Now, the word he uses for life is zoe here. It refers to a resurrected life, which the saint enjoys. It's eternal life given to him as motivating energy and a, a, a directive agent for a new kind of life he lives. It's hidden in Christ in that sense that Vincent says your new spiritual life is no longer a, a sphere of earthly or sensual, but it's a life of the risen Christ, who is the unseen God. Christ is in you. Your life is hidden in Christ. So that phrase, in Christ, comprises a, a brief but yet most profound statement and an inexhaustible significance of the believer's redemption, which includes the following things. First, the believer's security is in Christ. He's placed in Christ. He's kept by the power of God, who bore his own body, God's judgment against it. Jesus endured the cross for you and me. The believer's acceptance is in him, with whom God alone is well pleased. The believer's future, assurance, is, is in him, who is, who is the resurrection to the eternal life and the sole guarantor of a believer's inheritance in Christ. And then there's the believer's participation in the divine nature of Christ, the everlasting word. Mark this down, Second Peter 1, 4, read, enjoy, and be blessed. Well, there's a revelation, too. Look with me in verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed in glory. I like what Lightfoot says. It's not enough to have said that life is shared with Christ. The apostles declared that life is Christ. Lightfoot went on to say that the veil which now shrouds the higher life from others will then be withdrawn. And the world which now persecutes 
despises and ignores now will then be blinded by the dazzling glory of the the revelation. Vincent, Greek scholar, put it this way, when Christ, who is our life, he was the fountain of life, physical, moral, eternal. It's the principle and the source. Notice what Romans 8, verse 17 says. And if Christ heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so we may be also glorified with him. 1 John 3, 2 says this, Beloved, now we are children of God. It's not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Believers will appear in the in glory with Christ. Christians will share in the glory and Christians will contribute to the glory because we are his prize. We are his inheritance. Richard Dorch was one of the key players in the PTL network during its heyday of popularity. See, after PTL fell, Christian Christianity Today published an interview with Richard Dorch. And at the heart of the problem, Dorch said, was a confusion about what success meant in the kingdom of God. And Dorch explained it. It is all tied to how many stations we have on our network, how big our building is. It is so easy to to lose control and compromise without recognizing it. At PTL, there was no time taken for prayer, family, because the show had to go on. We were so caught up in God's work that we forgot about God. That could happen to any of us. We can get so caught up in, in doing the work of Christ that we forget about Christ. We can get so focused on the earthly things that we lose the sight of the heavenly things. And apparently this seems to be what was happening to the Christians in Colossae. So Paul sent this challenge. Stay focused upon the spiritual things. Let's take a look at the the challenge in our own lives. Where is our focus? Is it upon the heavenly things? Is it upon Jesus himself? Are we seeking to follow him, to reach out to him, to bring Jesus with us every place we go. The world needs to know. And the only way they will know Jesus is true and real is when you and I begin living that risen life with Christ. Scripture makes it very clear. They'll know you by your fruits. They'll know you by your love for one another. God has given us his commands, his tender loving commands. And Jesus summarized them, and he put it this way, that we are to love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and strength. The second is to love our neighbor. And if you remember Mary, Mary chose the better thing, sitting at the feet of Jesus, being filled up by Jesus, hanging on every word. Then she had the strength to go into the world. Then she knew what she was to do after hearing his very words. 
So first God, we love him, sit at his feet, take his word and hide it in our hearts. And then we go into a world and we bring the good news of Jesus Christ. And one day that Jesus is coming, he's going to return, he's going to bring us with him to heaven, a place that he is prepared. And he said if it were not so, he wouldn't have told us. And there's a world out there that needs to know the best is yet to come. And they need to know Jesus. Father, thank you for this word, for this time, for the hope that we have in you. Thank you that we have life and our life is hidden in you because of what you have done, demonstrating that love on the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.